<clears throat> excuse me. I think that um, I think that's really awesome because what it does is it shows us the heart of God. I appreciate Pastor Keith sharing that, and thank you all you guys that went out there and and uh, and helped do that. Because isn't it cool how one thing that God put on their hearts to do actually led to another thing that actually ministered to somebody in a way that they didn't actually intend on. That wasn't the plan to go there and help that one lady, but yet one thing opened the door for another thing. And these people, as simple as something like that is, can have such a profound impact. You know, we've been saying all throughout the past series that we did that that's not normal. We talked about how some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. That was a little bit of planting or watering yesterday that was going on in those hearts of those people and in the lives of those people. Just loving on people right where they're at with no strings attached. I mean, you're just going to freak people out. You mean you don't want a donation or anything like that because everybody wants something, you know. And when you see that, it's just the heart of God being displayed to people in such a genuine way. And let me tell you, it's been so exciting to see things like that happen. And the more exciting thing is, is that when, when things like that begin to happen in a church or with a, in a group of people or with us as individuals in our own hearts, momentum gets building and momentum gets going because you get excited about something. You feel connected to purpose. You feel like I'm doing something that is making a difference. I'm doing something that matters. I'm doing something that's connected me to something that's not only something that I'm giving of myself, but it's also giving back to me as weird as that is, you know, that I'm actually doing something for someone else, but yet I'm getting something out of the deal. I'm, 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 I'm feeling just this overwhelming sense of connection to purpose or, or like I'm doing something that's important and matters. And let me tell you, folks, the more you feed that the more you chase that purpose and the more you move forward with that, the bigger that thing is going to get. And just like that snowball effect, you know, as it goes down the hill, it's going to get bigger and bigger. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this new series is momentum. We're going to talk about uh, momentum in our lives. We're going to talk about momentum that God wants us to have moving forward and as well as our church moving forward as well, because God has been doing some great things in our church, and we've just been seeing some amazing things. Last week alone, we had 23 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Last night, we had 10 people accept the Lord. Um, uh, it, it's just been incredible. Pastor Keith told me that at 180 last week, there were 15 teenagers that they prayed with to receive salvation. So God is just doing amazing things, folks. It's about changing lives. It's about people connecting to the heart of God. And it is just so amazing to not only see people get saved and people meet Christ for the first time, but it's even more uh, amazing to see them connect to purpose and to see them grow in that relationship with God and to move forward in that and connect with what God has created them to do. And that's the momentum we want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs if you're searching around for it. Ecclesiastes. Eleven. We're going to read in verse 3. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 3. I'll give you just a second. I still hear some pages turning. If you want to write down the title this morning, if you're taking notes, write down the word control. It's what we're going to talk about this morning is control because when it comes to momentum, sometimes you and I have control issues that we need to get out of the way and we truly need to let God lead and direct our paths 
and let him have control. So Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 3 says this, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it's going to lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you don't know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. As I see this scripture here, I, I see God showing us, listen, sometimes in our lives, and sometimes even in church, and, and in our relationships, in our work, in our, with our children, whatever the case may be, we can have a tendency to not want to move forward or trust God in our lives unless everything is absolutely buttoned up perfect and we can just absolutely just step out with all assurances because we know this is, this, there's no questions here. There's really no trust factor here because everything's kind of spelled out and laid out. Just like he says right here, he who observes the wind will not sow. He who's waiting for that perfect wind before he sows, before he actually plants, before he actually invests, go, you know, the wind's not right. I don't know. It's just a little bit humidity i don't know it's just blowing a little too i don't know or, or maybe the clouds are looking a certain way i don't know if i'm gonna sow today i don't know if i'm gonna do this today and so we just always wait mm, no and we just always are waiting for everything to be absolutely perfect before we ever step out in faith or before we ever trust god and we'll look and, and, and wait for everything to be just laid out for us and spelled out for us before we ever step out in faith and folks let me tell you if we're waiting for everything to be perfect a lot of times we'll never do anything we're waiting for everything to just play out the way we want it to, then we'll never do anything. And that's really us exhibiting our need and our desire internally to control our destiny, to control our future, and to make sure that, well, I don't know, I want to make sure everything's just absolutely perfect. I don't want any question marks at all because I've got to have everything spelled out for me. Then that doesn't require us to trust God. Because sometimes we want things to work out when we want them to work out, how we want them to work out, and we want to dictate every tiny little thing that happens in our lives. And folks, we can't move forward that way. We can't move with momentum that way. We can't grow that way because growing requires trust, requires us to trust God, trust in what we cannot see. That's what faith is. It's trusting. It's that evidence of the thing that we can't yet see, but we know that God is good and we trust in his word and we know that he's faithful. And because of that, even though we may not be able to control the timing, even though we may not know exactly how it's going to happen, even though we may not know exactly every single perfect little step, we still trust him. And how many of us have ever had to trust God in a difficult time or in a situation in our lives? And it didn't make a whole lot of sense at that time to trust God. Matter of fact, everything in us was screaming to not trust God because it didn't make sense. But yet we did. And it may have been difficult for a time, but yet when we get on the other side of that problem or the other side of that challenge or whatever the case may be, we can look back and we can see from that vantage point how God was orchestrating all of these different things and how he never left us and how even in our mistakes and even in our left turns, he even used those things and could bring those things back to benefit us in a good way. Amen? Amen. I've seen that in my life time and time again, even when I blew it, even when I made mistakes, even when I was out of the will of God for my life, he could still use those things, those bad mistakes, those bad influences, and he can use those things that the devil meant for harm, meant for destruction, meant for evil, and he can actually use those things for my good. And I go, you know what? God was still with me. He didn't leave me. 
He didn't leave me in this storm. He didn't leave me in this situation. He didn't leave me over here. He was always with me. He was always with me, even when I thought that he had deserted me, even when I thought that I had deserted him. God was with me because he's faithful and he's good and he is true. If we waited for everything in our lives to come to us, or if we wait for perfect conditions before we ever did anything, then we would accomplish nothing. And in the 1800s, there was a theologian named William Shedd, and it was a Presbyterian theologian. He was quoted uh, saying this, Ships are safest in the harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. It's not ships were made for. They weren't made to stay in the harbor. They have to get out into the unknown. They have to sell out into some things that, you know what, I don't know if everything's going to be perfect. What if we waited until, okay, that all, everything's just perfectly, you know, all, all, the, all the situations are just absolutely perfect, and now we'll launch that boat. We would never launch it because there would always be something. There would always be a reason to doubt. There would always be a reason to fear. There would never be a reason to have to trust. You see, moving forward with the momentum that God has given us in our lives, momentum God has given us as a church, moving forward requires us to release control. It's what it requires. It requires a release of control in our lives. Because we must accept that if we are following God in our lives, that not everything that happens makes sense in that moment. Because how many of you know that if you read Scripture, you'll find out God asked some people to do some things that didn't really make sense. Hey, I'll tell you what. I want you to go fight these Midianites. I want you to go fight these 30,000 guys. I want you to go fight this big, huge army. And guess what? I want you to do it with a tiny little army, and I don't want you to use any weapons. I want you to use um, trumpets, and I want you to use uh, some, some lanterns. How about that? Does that sound good? Hey, I want the walls of this city to fall. I'm giving you this city. But instead of going after it with a big bulldozer and a wrecking crew, I want you to march around it seven times and then shout, Woo! At the end... This doesn't make sense. I don't want you to wear the armor of the king and go fight this giant. No, I want you to go in your regular day, everyday clothes, and I want you to pick up some stones and a sling, and I want you to go out and face the giant. Uh, God asks us to do some things that don't make sense. Remember Peter, when Jesus said, hey, come walk on the water. When did he ask him to come walk on the water? After he'd already had lessons and gotten kind of good at it? No. He asked him to come walk out on the water in the middle of a big storm. You see, Jesus often asks us, God often leads us to do things that don't make sense in the moment. And it doesn't make sense to our, our, our natural senses, but we can trust him when he speaks, when he leads, when he guides, when he directs. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, there was a girl in our ministry. Her name was Adrian. And we got to see Adrian before she knew Christ, and she was in pretty rough shape, and she got just radically saved. I mean, she had this just sin-scarred-filled past, and God set her free from all this stuff. It was awesome. She was just on fire for the Lord, loved God, and just, just was pursuing God with passion. And I knew her before she was a Christian, and then I knew her after she had become a Christian. And, and uh, I had asked her to be a part of our youth staff there at our church in Oklahoma, and she stayed with us for four years. And we were so excited to have Adrian on staff. My wife and I mentored her, spent a lot of time with her. She was always with us. And, and one day she went to church camp with us. And that church camp was also a Bible college. And she got really excited and said, you know what? I'm supposed to go to school here. So she left our ministry there in Oklahoma and went to Bible college for two years. And so for two years, we'd just seen her a handful of times. But yet we still had a lot of influence. We still talked to her a lot, emailed back and forth. And she would come and visit us from time to time. And... As the end of her two-year Bible school, they wanted all of the students to take a mission trip, and she chose to go to Nicaragua. 
okay? And uh, she was going to stay there for three months. That was the final thing she was going to do in Bible college, was go live in Nicaragua for three months and work with missionaries. And I told her, I said, Adrian, when you go to Nicaragua, this is going to be the last thing you do in school. I want you to make sure that you spend time with the Lord during that three months and ask him what you're supposed to do with your life after you get out of Bible college because you're, you've been in the safety net of having all these wonderful services being ministered to every day, all these classes, being in a very Christian environment, and, and I want to see you get plugged into what God has for you to do. So I want you to just focus when you have alone time with God. God, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? She said, okay. She said, I can commit to do that. And so she goes off to Nicaragua. We have no contact with her at all. They have no cell phones, no internet, nothing. She's sleeping on a dirt floor for three months, she says. Three months she's sleeping on a dirt floor in Nicaragua. And all she had was her journal. She journaled every day. And during this three-month span, while she was gone, God had begun to speak to my wife and I. And we knew that it was time for us to leave that church as the youth pastors, and God had put in our heart to go plant a church in Texas. And we hadn't told anybody about this. It wasn't anything we had shared with anybody at that point just between us. And I talked to my pastor, and he looks at me, and, and, and I was going to tell him that day. And the day I walked in his office to tell him, he looked at me, and he said, so when are you leaving? <laughs> he already knew. He knew. I mean, he, and, and it, was a, it was a very smooth transition, and they were all very supportive, and they invested in us, and it, it was a good transition for us. But Adrian hadn't heard anything about this. Adrian didn't know anything about it at all. She's in Nicaragua, remember? And uh, I thought, you know what? I would love to have Adrian go with us to help us plant this church in Texas. And so I began to think of all these things that I could tell her to try to influence her and inspire her to come with us. Oh, maybe I could say this, and maybe she'd get really just because I know we have the same heart for ministry, and, and maybe I could get her excited about this. And, and I was kind of rehearsing in my head what I was going to say to her and how I was going to present it to her. When she gets back, I'm going to share this with her. And so Adrian comes back, and the first person she wants to see when she comes back is my wife and I, very first people she wants to see. She gets off the plane. She immediately drives to our house. I'm back in the States. I'm making a beeline to your house. All right, I'm excited. This is going to be great. I'm going to share with her my great speech that I've prepared, right, in my head that I've kind of thought, okay, if I say this, I say that, okay, here's the deal. Maybe I can, maybe I can get her excited to want to be a part. But yeah, she's grown up in this area her whole life. I don't, I don't know. Just me. She comes and she sits in my living room. And she looks at me and I say, Adrian, I know you want to tell us about Nicaragua, but let me tell you something first. She said, I already know what you're going to say. And I said, what? And she said, the second week that I was in Nicaragua, she opens up her journal. And I remember as clear as day, it was written in pink ink. <laughs> second week that she was in Nicaragua, she wrote these words. She said, when I get back, Derek and Holly are leaving and they're moving. I don't know where they're going, but I'm going with them. And I said, whoa. <laughs> uh, okay. She said, so where are we going? She was all in. And she went with us and we planted a church, and she was with us there in Texas for three years, and she's still a very, very dear and close friend of ours. Um, but here's the thing. I was on the end of wanting to try to make something happen or trying to help God out. You know what I mean? And God was like, I don't need your help. I got this. I'm already speaking in ways that you're not even aware of. I'm already doing things that you're not aware of. And so me trying to control the situation or make something happen that I wanted to happen, listen, folks, we've got to be very careful because God is not pleased when we try to use him to manipulate others and try to get them to do what we want them to do. Amen, somebody? Amen. That means with your husband, with your wife, 
with your boss, with your friends, trying to use God to manipulate others to get them to do what we want them to do because God is going to speak to their hearts and they are responsible for hearing from God. You see, we need to understand something. Me as a pastor, I'm, I'm very careful about this because I know this happens a lot in churches. I grew up actually in a church where the pastor would get up almost every other week and God had told him something else and he would get up and he would say, God said that we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to buy this piece of property out here and this is what God told me we're going to do. And then later on the thing fell through. Well, God told us to do this instead because it didn't really pan out. And we were always changing, God said, God said. And we were just, every other time, it seemed like we were involved in a new project or in a new outreach or in a new something, and it was all tagged with God said. Listen, you're going to very rarely hear me say that God told me that we're going to do this unless it was really God, and you and I need to keep that same practice in our lives. We don't need to just label and tag everything that we do with God said unless He really said, because we're going to be held accountable for this stuff, folks especially me as a pastor in leadership. I don't want to just give in and say, well, God said. But you know, it, it, may, it may be that we just really get excited about something or that we really get jazzed about something and we get really passionate about something. And, and instead of filtering it through, did God really say this and making sure it was the Lord? Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves because we just want to tag our impatience with God said. <laughs> So let me ask you this. How certain are we that we receive instruction from the Lord or are we just trying to control, control something because we feel strongly about it? We need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're diligent, that we're rightly dividing the word, that we're, uh, that we're adequately hearing from God and make sure that it is God before we just slap that tag of God said onto something. Amen, somebody. When I was, uh, when I was a teenager... I was 18 years old working in a grocery store, and I used to wear this little cross necklace all the time. And I had a guy that I took out his groceries one day, and he looks at me, and he said, Hey, are you uh, interested in being a youth pastor? <sighs> what? Well, that's funny, because my buddy and I just had this conversation two weeks ago about how cool would that be if we were youth pastors. We didn't even know how to get the ball rolling in that. How do you even get started? You go knock on the doors of a church. Hey, I want to be a youth pastor. How's that work? I didn't know. And so it's, you know, I, I said, that's funny you mentioned that. Me and my buddy just had this conversation. He said, well, here's a card that a lady gave me while I was eating in Wendy's. And she was just going to different people saying their church was looking for a youth pastor. And I don't think this card's for me. I think it's for you. And I'm like, wow, I just got this card. Woo, I just got this card. Maybe this is it. This is it. This is going to be the start of the launch of Derek Armstrong Ministries. I got really excited, but you know what I did? I had to stop, even in my excitement. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put this on the shelf. And I literally put it on a shelf, (laughs) put that card on the shelf. And I said, I need to pray about this and see if this is really God. Or is this me just getting excited about something and me wanting to say, God said, okay? Me wanting to dictate and control something because I want it, because I feel strongly about it. So I put the card on the shelf and I said, okay, I need to pray about this. Two weeks passed by, two weeks. I did not call the man, did not call him at all. Two weeks go by, my youth pastor calls me in his office. Here I am, 18 years old. I'm not even two weeks out of high school. And my youth pastor calls me in his office and he says, Derek, he said, I feel like 
that God is calling you into youth ministry. And I said, yeah, I said, that's funny you say that because this guy gave me a card and me and my buddy had a conversation about a month ago about it. And he says, well, I've got a friend that's looking for a youth pastor and I want you to give him a call. He hands me a card and it's the same card that I got two weeks ago, the exact same card with the exact same phone number written on it. And then I felt the peace to call. And I knew that it was God confirming what he had already put in my heart and what he had already opened the door and showed me. And I called, and that's where I met my wife. So it was God. (laughs) But here's the thing. We can't hear from God for other people. We can't hear from God for other people. Now, God may use people to confirm in our heart what he's already been dealing with us about or to encourage us or to give us godly counsel, but he does not tell other people to tell you what to do. Understand this. God leads and directs and will confirm, okay? If I would have followed that man and would have said, oh, man, this, this, this must be God speaking to me, you know, then I could have gotten off track very easily if I would have just got excited about because that's what I wanted to do instead of saying, is this God? I want to listen to God, not man. Amen? Amen. Now, God can use man, but he's not going to use a man to tell me what to do. If I come up to you and I say, hey, I don't know you from, from Adam, and I say, I think God's calling you to move to Africa. Really? Well, God hadn't been dealing with me about it, but I guess so. Let's go. That'd be foolishness, right? That would be foolishness. We have to weigh everything against his word, and we have to weigh everything against what has he already been dealing with us in our hearts about. Or maybe God would use someone to speak something to begin to spark something in our heart. But he's not going to lead you by a man. He's going to lead you by his word and by his spirit and confirm everything with signs following as well. So make sure that we understand that we are responsible for continuing the momentum in our lives by allowing God to lead us by his word and by his spirit. We are responsible. Amen? Amen. We can't be going, well, I guess God doesn't have anything special for me because nobody's prophesied over me. I guess I'm just a nobody. No. God has something special for you. It's your responsibility to pursue the passion and the destiny that God has put in your heart and the purpose for which he has created you, not your responsibility to sit on and wait, on, wait around for somebody to tell you what to do. Amen? Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all are amen in this morning. Let me tell you. <laughs> A consistently... Critical and negative attitude is caused by a desire to control. Because we're talking about controlling things. We're talking about, okay, I want to make this happen. I want to make what I want to happen, happen. If we're always consistently critical and negative in our attitude, it really reveals in us that there is a desire to control. We, want, we, we get negative or critical because people aren't doing or saying what we want them to do. We're not getting the results we want out of other people And so we begin to develop a negative attitude or a critical spirit, really because the root of what we're dealing with is that we're trying to control how people do things and how people think and how people act and react. Well, I don't like the way that so-and-so does this. I don't like the way my wife does this. I don't like the way my boss does this. I'm negative and I'm critical because I really want them to do what I want them to do. Ever thought about that? Amen. Okay. You see, murmuring and complaining and having that critical and negative attitude will actually keep you from moving forward and it will stop momentum. That's what control will do. It will actually stop momentum. It will stop you from moving forward. It will stop you from moving forward in your job. It will stop you from moving forward in your relationships. It will stop you from moving forward uh, with your children. It will stop you from moving forward as a church. And we have to be very careful of that. 
because there were these great group of people that God loved so much that he sent Moses to help set them free because they had been in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptian people. You can read this in the book of Exodus. The Israelites, the children of God, were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. There were generations of children that all they knew was slavery. They were born into this thing, and God raises up Moses, and he comes and he helps lead the people into freedom, leads them across the Red Sea, leads them across on dry ground, gives them the Ten Commandments, sets them free from Egyptian slavery, and then yet they're not even out of the captivity and the bondage of the Egyptians very long at all before they're already complaining and having a negative attitude against God and against Moses. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2, they ask him, why did you take us here to starve? We're hungry. You want to get people to complain? Don't feed them anything. That'll be one of the quickest ways. We locked everybody here in this room and we only put one pizza in the center. After a little while, everybody would get a little crazy. Exodus 17 and 2, they complained because they didn't have any water to drink. Exodus 20 and 15, they were mad at Moses because they wanted to hear from God. And they were wondering why they were only hearing from Moses. Exodus 32, they were complaining that Moses dragged them out of Egypt. Where is he? They haven't seen him in a while because he was up on Mount Sinai talking to God and receiving the Ten Commandments. And they were complaining because he wasn't around. In Numbers 11 and 1, everybody kept complaining. Numbers 11 and 4, they said, we haven't had meat in a while. Fish was free in Egypt. We had great cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Because you see, they were hungry. So what did God do? He rained bread from heaven every morning, gave them manna. And they had manna and they, they, they ate it. Then they began to complain in Numbers 11 and 5 that they're sick of manna now. I know that we laugh, but we're just like the children of Israel. Every one of us in some way, shape, or form. You see, God keeps doing things. God keeps moving us forward. And because of their murmuring, because of their complaining, the momentum that they had from the freedom they experienced from Egypt that God had led them out of caused them to get stuck, caused them to actually wander in the desert for 40 years. Because the desert was not God's best for them. The desert was not God's plan for them. God's plan for them was to go into a place that he had called the promised land, a place that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that he had promised them that he said was theirs, where they were supposed to live in and dwell, where they were supposed to grow and be established. But yet they didn't obtain that land. Instead, they just wandered all around the desert getting sick. At one point, they had begun to get uh, plagues because of all of their complaining. And then God healed them. And then you would see over and over again, God, God said, okay, go and spy out the land. And, and so they sent 12 spies out in the land. And then 10 of those spies came back and brought a negative report about the promised land of God. But two of them gave a positive report. And you know what all of those children of Israel wanted to do? Those, to those two spies that gave the good report, they had stones in their hand ready to kill them. That's how negative they got that they couldn't even receive a positive report. And let me tell you, we got to be careful that sometimes when we allow negativity to creep up in our heart, we will even discredit positive things that are going on around us and in others' lives and in our own lives. And we'll miss the good things that are going on, the good positive things that God's doing. We'll miss the momentum. We'll miss the moving forward because we're so blinded and, and clouded by our negativity and our critical attitude. And it's really revealing a desire in us 
to control. And you know what is a result of that? Anger is a result of the fruit that is produced from a continual desire to control. Because when people don't do what we want them to do and how we want them to do it, we react in anger. Or we react in gossip or bitterness or slander or frustration. Because we can only tolerate so much. Every one of us has a tolerance cap of things we don't like. If I brought a chalkboard in here and I began to go, some of you would last longer than others. If I just continually made that sound, because our tolerance level to things we don't like is all different. And sometimes our tolerance level of things that we don't like is based on our level of maturity. Because sometimes we immediately react because we're very quick-fused people who are just immediately wanting to just spout off something witty and something sharp and something negative. Or maybe some of us, we can hang around a little bit longer. Or maybe some of us understand how to deal with it because we know, okay, this is what God's called me to do. This is where God's called me to be. This is what God wants me to do with my life. I'm called to this marriage. I have made a commitment in this relationship. And yeah, there are some things I don't like. But instead of me spending my life trying to control this person, instead of me trying to spend my life trying to manipulate this person, instead of me trying to make them what I want them to be, I'm going to be responsible for who God wants me to be and allow that godly influence to influence them. And I'm going to pray for them and stand in the gap for them and pray that God open their eyes and I'm just going to love them right where they are because that's what I need from Christ and that's what this person needs from me. But too often we get mad and so we blow up at our spouse when they don't do what we want and so we react in anger and the reason we react in anger is because really and truly we're just trying to communicate to them that we don't like what they're doing. Or we try to control them and manipulate them by being angry. And then all of a sudden we create this sense of fear and anxiety of our reaction. Don't make me go there. I'm about to blow up all over you. Or they know what buttons to push and they know when you're about to react in a way they don't like. And so because of that, you've obtained a little bit of control over them. Folks, that's manipulation and it's wrong. That critical and negative attitude is caused by a desire to control. Always putting your spouse down, always putting your kids down, always putting everybody down, and, and how you're just so better than them, and, and how, you know, oh, you should do this, and, and oh, you should be more like me, or you should be more like this person. You're trying to put them down because you're really trying to control them and make them do what you want them to do. And the sad thing is, is that when we get to that place in our lives, when that person does try to do what we want them to do, and they do try to please us, even that doesn't make us happy because now we've got on the search for negative and we've got addicted to negativity. Because negativity and criticism is very addictive. Ask Facebook. <laughs> it's very addictive. It's very addictive when we get in conversations that are leading nowhere and that aren't helping anybody and that are very negative, and it stops momentum. It stops momentum in our lives. It stops momentum and progress in churches. It stops momentum and progress in our relationships and our jobs. It, it, it stops momentum. Just like the children of Israel wandered around in the desert. You see, the enemy always tries to feed thoughts of frustration to stop positive momentum in our lives and especially in churches because he knows the impact and the potential that we have. He knows the impact and potential that he's called us to. Amen? He is well aware of that. He, he sees when the ball gets rolling, and he sees when good things are happening, and he tries to creep up the same old junk that he's always tried to creep up to bring division 
and to stop momentum in our lives, to stop momentum in our relationships, everywhere in our lives. We begin to feel good about something. We begin to get excited about something. And then all of a sudden, negativity arises, criticism arises, and all of a sudden we begin to develop this negative attitude and it puts the brakes on the momentum in our lives from moving forward. So how do we do this? How do we fix this? What do we do to keep moving forward? A positive outlook is one that trusts God regardless of what people may do. That's what we do. We learn to trust God regardless of what other people may do. Amen? Amen. You've got to trust God no matter what people do because people is crazy. People are crazy. They do some crazy things that don't make any sense at all. You look at people, you're like, really? Really? I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would do that. And if I get hung up on that, and if I get stuck in that, then I'm going to get stuck from moving forward. I've got to go, no, I've got to trust God regardless of how crazy people may get, regardless of what others may do, regardless of what other people at work may be saying, regardless of what this person's putting pressure on me to do, I've got to trust God, and I've got to be faithful to that. Because ultimately, guess who's responsible? Me. I'm responsible for hearing from God. I'm responsible for moving forward with God. That's who's ultimately responsible, is you and me, for ourselves. We can't blame somebody else. We can't go, oh, it's this one's fault. Oh, it's that one's fault. No, we're responsible for us, for hearing from God. And making sure that we're following the leading of His Spirit and His Word. Because we can't control our spouse. We can't control our kids. We can't control our boss, our coworkers. But what we can do is we can choose to be a godly example and we can influence other people's lives and we can trust God by what we do in those situations and with those people and trust that he is working everything for our benefit if we're walking hand in hand with him and trusting in him. Amen? Amen. I can't control situations. I can't control circumstances. I can't control people. I can control how I respond to God. That's what I can control. And so that's why I need to make sure that I'm doing that. Just like I had a guy at the gym the other day. And, you know, this guy's in there like all the time. I'm not actually sure if he ever even works out. He's just always in the gym and he's always talking. And he's a real friendly, real nice guy. Um, but I always give him a hard time when he's talking to somebody. I say, hey, you're going to hit the weights today. You're just going to sit there and hit the mouth weights. Anyways, um, I always joke around with him. He, caught, he knows I'm a pastor. And he asked me the other day, he said, hey, can you come talk to me for a minute, Derek? I said, sure. He said, um, I got this friend that's an atheist. How do I get her to believe in God? Well, um, there's a magic potion that if you can slip it into her drink. You can't. I told him, I said, man, you can't. I said, I said if, if you could make atheists believe in God, there would be no atheists. If you could make someone love you, if you could make someone do what you want to do, if you could control someone's choices, then this thing would be a lot different. But the fact of the matter is, I told him, we can't. I said, but here's what you can do. You're not powerless in the situation. You can love her right where she's at. You can be a friend. You can show her what someone who has a relationship with God, what that looks like and how it's real to you. And you can be an influence in that way. And when the opportunity arises that she has questions or she wants to talk to you, you can answer those questions with the truth shared in love. I said, we can do those things and help be an influence, but we can't change her heart because only we can make the decisions for ourselves. We can't make decisions for other people, no matter how bad we want to. No matter how bad we want to make decisions, even for our children. Amen? Sometimes we want to make decisions for our children and say, you're really doing some stupid stuff right now, but I can't make this decision for you. 
I can lead you and guide you and direct you, and I can be an influence in your life. But sometimes people make choices. And that's the thing, folks. We can't control other people. And we can't let negative attitudes, bitterness, and situations of the past hinder us as people of God from moving forward. Because I believe that God wants your marriage, your kids, your job, and our church to be led and directed by His Word and by His Spirit. Amen? Amen. Psalm 37 and 23 says that the steps of a righteous man, the steps of a good man, are ordered by the Lord. That's how they're ordered, by Him, the steps of a righteous man. So when we move with the momentum of God and when we move in His timing in every step of our lives, here's what we do. We release control. We say, God, Your ways, Your thoughts, Your word, Your truth, Your spirit is higher than my way of thinking, my way of rationale, my decision-making capabilities. I trust You, okay? Not just what I want at this moment, how I want it, when I want it, my way right away. So God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you and believe that your timing is perfect and believe that your word is true. And if you said it, that you'll do it. And that's where I'm going to put my faith and my hope and my trust. Amen, somebody? Because when we put forth our best efforts, we can do that. We can do everything we can do in our own strength and we put forth our own best efforts and we should. But ultimately, we have to trust God because we can't trust in our best efforts. We can't trust in our best efforts. We ultimately have to trust in God. I want to share with you one more set of scriptures here this morning. Is this helping anybody this morning? This sure is helping me. I don't know. Maybe it was just all for me today. Isaiah 54 and verse 1 says this. This is uh, the prophet Isaiah. He's, he's prophesying to um, Israel. And he's speaking of what's going to come, which is actually the coming of Christ that's going to actually increase the family of God. But this is what he tells Israel at the time. He says, sing, O barren. This is before Christ has come. You're barren. Sing, O barren woman, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. And this is Isaiah prophesying to the nation of Israel, telling them, listen, there is coming a time where things are going to increase and grow Because of your sin, because of all the things that have disconnected you from God, something is about to change, something is about to produce, something is about to happen. It doesn't matter all the shame, all the junk you've been through. We're going to forget all about that because Christ is coming to make all things new. This is what Isaiah was prophesying about. But here's what he said. He said, before all this happens, the very first thing he said is to sing, O barren woman. Sing before you actually conceive. What? In other words, he's saying rejoice. Get happy about it before you actually see it happen. That's what he was saying. He said, matter of fact, you need to go ahead and prepare. He said, you need to enlarge the place of your tent. He said, and stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Because, listen, you need to prepare because something is coming. It's going to change everything. There's going to be an increase. There's going to be a growth. You need to prepare. Matter of fact, go ahead and strengthen the stakes of your tent. Go ahead and stretch out the curtains. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. 
The prophet Isaiah wrote this to foretell the restoration of the people of God. And he told them to sing, to rejoice, to enlarge, and to prepare, to get ready before they ever even saw it happening. This was the direction that God gave them for the momentum that he was bringing forth in their lives. Because when God begins to move in great ways in our lives and in our church, we must do our part to prepare. Amen? We've got to do our part to prepare. We also must understand that there are certain areas and timings we cannot control. And we need to trust God. Because we can't control those things. God leads us in steps, not leaps. But sometimes the step is a leap of faith. But if it's a step that God wants us to take and it's led by God, then we can have faith and peace and confidence and rest and trust in Him. Amen? He leads by steps. Step by step by step by step. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Today you may have been trying to control everything in your life. May have made a big mess. Looking around going, man, what a mess. I can't believe things have ended up this way. There's hope today. No matter how big of a mess you may have felt like you've made. No matter how far you may have thought you've gone. No matter how far away from God you may feel at this moment. There's hope for you. Amen, somebody. There is hope in this place today, and and that's what I want you to walk away with, is I want you to walk away with there is hope. There is hope beyond us trying to control everything in our lives, because we simply can't. We have to trust in God if we want our steps to be ordered by Him, and we have to trust that His ways are better than ours, His thoughts are better than ours, and that He's ordering our steps day by day by day, and He cares about every facet of our lives. No matter how insignificant we may think they are, He cares about them. He cares about you right where you're at. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I want to ask you a very pointed question. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus Christ in my life because I need hope. You're not going to find hope from any other source. You're not going to find hope in, in, in the love of another person. You're not going to find hope in the counsel of another person. You're not going to find hope in money and jobs and fame and success. You're only going to find hope in Jesus Christ. And today, He can give you that hope. He can give you that hope by simply trusting in Him and putting your faith in Him. If that's you in this place today, you say, Pastor, I need the momentum to get started in my life. I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you in this place, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down or anything like that. I just want you to let me know while every head's bowed and every eye's closed. I just want you to let me know you're here by lifting your hand. I want you to acknowledge your need for Christ. I see that hand. I see those hands. Over in the back, I see your hand. I see that hand. I see your hand on the side. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. Anyone else in this place? Just acknowledging my need for Christ. But what I'm going to ask you to do now is I want you to say this prayer. But listen, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not the prayer that makes you right with God. It's your faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible said that we have to believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that what He did on the cross was good enough and the only thing that would be able to make us right with God and forgive us of our sins and cleanse our past. So we have to believe in our heart and we have to confess with our mouth that He is our Lord, that He's our leader, that He's the one that guides us and leads us and directs our steps and that we give our lives to Him. So if you're ready to do that, church, would you help me out and pray along with those who lifted their hands by saying this, saying, Jesus, I give you my heart today and I trust in you. Forgive me of my sin 
and make me right with God because only you can. I can't do it in and of myself. And I put all my trust in you. Lead and guide my life from this day forward as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you look up here?